episode start, and Matthew Klippenstein are back again for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, Clean Technica's weekly podcast about the hottest news and most interesting stories in the clean tech field, focused especially on electric vehicles and solar energy. Check in weekly via cleantechnica.com, SoundCloud, or iTunes to get your electric fix. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 41 of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Matthew Klippenstein here with Nicholas Zart. And as a quick reminder before we get started, show notes are available at cleantechnica.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a review on iTunes to make it easier for others to discover us. Nicholas, what do we have on tap for this week? You know, I don't know. I looked around. There's really not much going on. I mean, I, I tried, I tried, I tried. And wait, hold on a second. I think there might be something about some truck from Tesla. Really? That's, huh. that's kind of strange. I kind of went into a cave on Thursday morning. and I didn't <laughs> It's been Tesla galore. I think we can come up with all sorts of Tesla-esque um, titles for this, uh, this show. But Obviously, everything is going to revolve around the Tesla semi-truck. I'll, I'll admit it. I haven't uh, followed up nearly as closely as close as I should have because I'm really into little roadsters myself. Okay. Well, maybe we can go through the roadster first and then the semi. But even before all those, maybe a little public service announcement reminder that as fun as it is to have all these announcements coming out of Tesla, it would do a lot of people a lot of reassurance if if we could hear a little bit about how the Model 3 production is going, because that's kind of the thing that Tesla has been building to for years and years and years. It's here now, and I'm sure many hundreds of hours, thousands of person hours went into this Tesla truck event and reveal, and the Roadster as well, but really everything at Tesla kind of needs to be about the Model 3, because that is the raison d'etre really, for Tesla. Everything else is a bit of a distraction. I realized that Elon Musk wasn't going to interrupt the Tesla truck and surprise Roadster reveal with some Model 3 news, but it would have been nice to have some reassurance appended, given to reporters after the media coverage saying this is our progress. That's just the way I see it. it just seems to be a distraction. Yeah, and, and I think you raise a really good point here, and that's something that I, I, w- I thought was really strange and eerily absent was mention of, I mean, there was very few mentions of the Model 3, but there wasn't anything added to the confusion that we had two weeks ago when Musk not only blanked out, but we really didn't know what was going on. So as much as I'm happy to see a semi-truck, you know, although we'll have to see if that gets into production and how that will be uh, accepted. And of course, I'm very excited about the Roadster because that was my first love. And also there was a, a little bit on the pickup truck, but it really felt like like a sort of a more of an entertainment and don't talk about the, the Model 3 while we just uh, entertain you guys with that, which is fine. I, I like that, but I'd like to know what the heck's going on with the Model 3 because that's what everybody's waiting for. Yeah, well, in that spirit, would you like to just start off right now then with the Roadster, seeing as that is your forte, <laughs> as it were? Well, you know, the, the, the Roadster has a special meaning, for me at least, because as you might or might not know, I grew up with old cars, Bugattis, Ferraris, Alfa Romeos. That's what I, I, was, I was next to all my life. And in the 80s, you know, there were some okay cars. In the 90s, there was nothing interesting. I totally got bored with cars, lost interest until in about, when was it, 2016, 2017, a friend of mine is driving a Roadster and I'm behind with my souped up Alfa Romeo and he goes, oh, you know what, you should drive it. And I'm like, all right, okay. And so he says, uh, just follow me. 
nothing can bother me with that little Alfa Romeo on the road except that Roadster. It was just kept on going and going and I was full RPM on my little engine and nothing, nothing I couldn't keep up with it. So of course, I jump in it and I was all smiles. It was just such a revelation. Not only I felt much more calm at the wheel, but I could accelerate and the car would just pounce and go into that empty spot in another lane. So it was, it was a pure revelation. That's how I got to write about, about electric vehicles and renewable energy. So, of course, when I heard Musk 10 years ago, but now talk about the next generation, I thought, wow, that would be pretty fun. The original Roadster was a lot of fun. 240 miles is nothing to sneer at. And the 0 to 60, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was, was that like 4.2 seconds or something like that. So when they updated this current one that we still have with a bigger battery pack and a little bit over, what is it, at least 300 miles of range, I thought, now that's really cool. Unfortunately, you got to get the Roadster secondhand, which is anywhere from fifty to hundred thousand dollars still, and still on top of that, plunk an extra seventy-five thousand dollars for the battery upgrade. So it's still out of my reach, unfortunately. But finally, here comes Roadster 2.0, and um, I mean the specs are absolutely out of this world. I don't know any car that can sprint. Well, I shouldn't say that. There might be maybe a Koenigsegg or, or one of these weird cars that can sprint the 0 to 60 in 1.9 seconds, which will make it the fastest production car ever made when it gets there. It blows all the records with a 100 to, 0 to 100 miles an hour sprint. The one thing that we do know, and, and I thought that was very interesting, is the, uh, the three-motor configuration, which I assume is like a P100D, two motors behind, one motor in the front. But 250 miles per hour is more than 600 miles of range. And here's the thing that is really puzzling because I wish we would know a little bit more out of that 200 kilowatt battery pack. Now that is impressive because I have no idea how they can shove that in such a small footprint. So my guess is they're going to have to have a lot more batteries in the front and in the back which will be interesting to see how the car will, will handle all in all because that center of gravity, I don't know, right now it, just a 200 kilowatt hour pack just seems like it would be huge. And then of course the thing that really stopped me dead in my truck and my enthusiasm was, what, $200,000? Now of course I totally understand it. The, the, the car is definitely in the Ferrari Porsche uh, alley and, and that's exactly where you want to hit it at that price point because it will beat anything that these two other companies can do. But $250,000 for the Founder Series, sigh, again, I can't afford the Roadster. I don't know what you think about it. The Roadster's interesting. When, when you're talking about how they crammed 200 kilowatt hours of batteries since the range extended Model 3 is 80 kilowatt hours, and perhaps they're putting in two and a half packs worth of Model 3 batteries into what looks like a roughly Model 3 sized car. When I'm thinking about Roadsters, I usually think of two seat vehicles. Tesla said in this case it's a two plus two, uh, so it's not a five seat vehicle like the Model 3. I wonder if they did something that Toyota has done with their Prius Prime, where they basically took out a seat and used some of that space and weight to just add battery. Of course, in Toyota's case, they didn't add an extra 120 kilowatt hours of battery, but <laughs> uh, they added eight kilowatt hours of battery. I'm sure it's a, it's a wonderful vehicle. I, the price is a bit of a shock. I guess I shouldn't be too surprised because this is you know, a super duper car. But the fact that the founders are being asked to pay all 250K up front for a car that won't be delivered for three years and no, on, based on Elon's standard time, maybe 2021, 2022, <laughs> and that was a little bit more surprising. 
So 250K times 1,000 up to 1,000 uh, founder series reservations plus $50,000 reservations for the regular only $200,000 Roadster. <laughs> the capital raise here is basically $250 million or more. I will be very interested to see Elon's tweets about how many people reserve the Founders Edition because, let's face it, he's been very exuberant about playing up the reservations before, and it would be uncharacteristic if he stays silent on the issue. I understand that there's some sort of a 10-day waiting period, so perhaps next Monday, a little bit after Thanksgiving, he'll have a series of tweets announcing a thousand or perhaps more uh, roads to reservations. So. So we'll just you know, have to see. That'll be a bit of a, a, a treat, a dessert after American Thanksgiving, I suppose. Well said. I, I think we can open up a pool bed, and I think our, our listeners will definitely, hopefully, will weigh in on it. But I'm going to say, let's say 10 Founder Series reservations, maybe eight delivered. And I'm being cautiously conservative, right, just in case. I understand the price point. First of all, I mean, it is a really spectacular car. It will be a spectacular car. And if you look at it, I mean, the equal performance as far as Porsche and Ferrari can offer would be, you know, I guess the Italia 458 or something like that. And that is within the two to 300,000 range, actually a little bit more than 300,000 range, depending on what you get. I understand the Generation 3 or the Model 3, as we call it now, definitely will be the quote unquote affordable car. And that's just to shake up the rest of the uh, industry. But the P100D has done a heck of a lot for all of you know the luxury market, but one market that really hasn't really moved that much is the uh, the high performance market, and meaning Ferrari, the higher end Porsches, not the Panamera, but those kind of cars, the two seaters, you know, the two plus twos, and so far short of the Roadster, really. Tesla hasn't done anything much to nudge that. So that's normal that they're going in that direction. But yikes, yeah, $250,000. I'm bummed. I better start writing about 20 articles a day and having everybody cheer and clap so that I can even start to put down the reservation. I guess there's this other factor that maybe because uh, the Roadster is going for the idea of matching and beating gasoline vehicles the $200,000 price tag for the base model is actually about double the original Roadster's price tag, which was $98,000. We've got a little thing on sister site EV obsession about that. So it's not trending in the right direction. I'm surprised that you'd put the number of reservations down so low at like 10 or 8 or something like that, because I would expect Musk to get at least 500, if not the full thousand of Founder Series oh, reservations. Oh, just to make sure that's the Founder Series, the 250,000 up front. I'm sure that at the very last moment, we're going to get at least good 10 solid reservations. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe it's going to be more, but we're talking about $250,000 cars. I don't see that big of a market, but I think it's just the uh, just that's uh, that founder series. The regular series, I'm sure we'll see much more than that, but I don't think we'll see more than a thousand. I mean, that's still that's still a two hundred thousand dollar car. There are not that many of them around if you consider compared to regular cars and everything. One point that you did make is, yeah, it's starting to look like Tesla is getting a little bit more coherent on its um, design signature. The more I look at that car, the more I see hints of Porsche and, and, Fer and Ferrari, of course, and you can see the 355 that had that big front fascia. They're definitely going up in this alley, and that's going to be an interesting fight. It's going to be also interesting to see how Porsche and, uh, and Ferrari respond to that, because we know that they have hybrid and electric motor or electric drivetrain patents that were put down a long time ago. So it'll definitely force them to react. Listeners, please chime in. I guess I'll put myself down for at least 500 Founder Series 
say by the end of November, Nicholas is saying 10. Uh, <laughs> that's a bit of a variation. I'm sure there will be many people who think that uh, Elon can get at least 1,000. My original thought was, wow, you know, if he got 1,100 people requesting a Founder Series, would he be generous and say, okay, you know, we'll give all 1,100 of you Founder Series instead of just the 1,000? It's kind of mean if someone's email doesn't arrive quite as fast as someone else's email. But yeah, that'll, that'll be interesting. Again, if you get the if you get a thousand founder series reservations, that's $250 million. That's not a small amount of money. That's an enormous amount of money. Tesla has been burning through on yes. astronomical amount of, of money, you know, something you would need to put a SpaceX rocket into orbit to really truly appreciate. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Just the size of it. And like you said, it's $50,000 out of your pocket. That's quite another thing than, than just sending $500. So I don't know if this is refundable or not. I assume it might be at some point. So, it's so. it's 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 a gamble and it's a good gamble and it's so it's so incredibly tesla-esque i i love it okay then moving on from the uh beautiful, beautiful to the brawny uh <laughs> going on to the semi-truck we'll post up a few clean technical links covering the story but of course by now everyone who hasn't been in a cave knows that tesla unveiled its semi-truck and in fact the roadster was driven out of the semi-truck as the one last thing-esque throwback to steve jobs's presentations the thing which I found most illuminating about the announcement, and it's a very exciting announcement, you know, 500 miles of range, it's interesting that it was exactly 25 cents per mile lower expected operating cost than diesel. It doesn't look like this 25 cent number includes the fact that electric vehicles will at some point pay road taxes, and so that will shrink on its own. One of the weird things about road damage is that it's proportional to something like the fifth power of the weight on an axle. So if you really wanted to be mathematically fair, you know, fair according to the laws of physics, people driving cars should not have to pay road taxes, but basically these 18 wheelers, these semi-trucks should be paying everything. Of course, that's not exactly fair because 18 wheelers don't go into residential areas, but that really gives you a sense of how important vehicle weight is in a lot of these things. Vehicle weight is another one of these frustrating facets that Tesla didn't reveal because the estimates that we've seen, the, the estimates I've come up with and some other folks have come up with suggest that this Tesla tractor is going to be a lot heavier than a diesel tractor. And the reason for assuming this is that Tesla said that they would get about one mile per every two kilowatt hours of energy. And that's actually a lot better than most diesels, which are lucky to get less than four kilowatt hours per mile. In the diesel case, they're uh, combusting the diesel, so they're not as efficient. So basically, because you have the battery propulsion, it really works in your favor, you know, as it does for every electric vehicle. Now, if you're saying 500 miles, and they haven't indicated whether that's 500 miles in cold, snowy weather with the yes. running and so on and so forth, but let's just say that if we estimate the worst case, the battery just gets even bigger. So let's just assume two kilowatt hours per mile, 500 miles, that's a 1,000 kilowatt hour battery. Yeah. And there was a, a little bit of investigation done by Green Tech Media, uh, which noted a, a key passage in some of their bullet points was that the battery chemistry is similar to their energy storage products, which means it's an NMC battery, nickel manganese cobalt, as opposed to the NCA chemistry that's used in the Model 3 and the Model S and X, and that the batteries are being treated in a way that make sure the last 2,000 cycles. You want a million miles, 500 miles per uh, discharge, then that means 2,000 cycles. And that's very similar to what you get in an energy storage situation. 
And so that means that the 1,000 kilowatt hours rapidly turns into 1,500 kilowatt hours, and that's a monster heavy battery. Some researchers from Carnegie Mellon University estimated that the battery would weigh on the order of 14 tons. The math that I did, I got something about 12 tons, but that may not include any reinforcement that would be required to hold a 12-ton battery. The U.S. regulations have uh, cars typically sized, or, sorry, have trucks, <laughs> cars, have <laughs> sized for a maximum weight of 80,000 pounds, yeah. of which maybe 20,000 pounds is the tractor, you know, the truck portion, and maybe 10,000 pounds is the empty trailer. So if you think about that, that's 30,000 pounds for everything else, and there's 50,000 pounds for the payload. Now, if you're suddenly adding even 10 tons, you call it uh, 20 odd thousand pounds, then your payload for a diesel of 50,000 pounds maximum goes down to about 30,000 pounds maximum. And that's kind of problematic. Yeah. The average payload is apparently in this industry is about 16 tons, which works out to about 35,000 pounds. So maybe you can go from not carrying the heaviest loads to maybe you can just barely kind of make the average payload but the economics, I think, will become less favorable if all these trucking companies, your Walmarts, your Loblaws, suddenly have to have more trucks because they just want the lowest cost possible. And impairing or crimping the payload really doesn't help with that. Ideally, I think trucks like that would excel in harbors and, and seaports where you do have cars coming in, trucks coming in, trains coming in, and sea uh, vessels coming in where you have the most amount of pollution. So I wonder if they'll be able to get in there and, and do everything they need to do. Yeah, I guess another factor is that the average diesel rig apparently, you know, from various online sources is on the order of $120,000 US. Even yeah. if you assume that Tesla has gets to the $100 per kilowatt hour pack cost by 2020, the battery alone is going to be more than the cost of a regular diesel rig. Yeah. That would be $150,000 just for the battery at a possibly optimistic price point. And that doesn't include any of the other components. So while I fully believe that in certain circumstances, the running costs for the truck will be definitely cheaper than for diesels. I think it's telling and not really optimistic that Tesla hasn't introduced any pricing because I'm sure the price premium will have to get subdivided over all those millions of miles. And trucks do go a, a heck of a long way. They travel a hell of a lot. So it is and I guess the last thing, and I'm just sort of meandering here, is that trucks aren't really a brand market. It's a commodity. There's no price premium someone's going to pay for a truck from Tesla versus, say, from BYD or company XYZ. So whereas the Roadster, whereas the Model S and X, the Model 3, you can charge a premium. People are happy to charge a premium. This is a much more ruthless sector that Tesla has gone into. And even if they can make the price points in high volume, there's still the question of how many years does it take to ramp until your trucks are being produced at full volume in a factory you don't have that you have to buy, whereas all your competition already has factories that they can kind of switch in some diesel, some uh, battery components for, for diesel, or perhaps even fuel cells, which I'll put in the show notes, don't have this kind of weight penalty. So yeah, it's a lot of questions that uh, we'll hopefully that's be able to find in uh, th th very in soon. Order. Yeah, and you know that's that's one thing. I although I'm not a big proponent of fuel cell for uh, for personal transportation, boy, this is one segment, one market where fuel cell can easily excel and bring about all the uh, potential and promises it's been doing for the last four decades uh, for big rigs and the haul and long haul. I mean, it's it's ideal. You you really lower 
the axle uh, weight. You can have more cargo. And as far as the uh, refueling structure, it's more or less there. When you look at this announcement from Tesla, you really, I think you really have to look at it at a bird's eye view because what they're doing, at least in my, my eyes, they're doing, they're, they're saying, hey, we're still here, we're still disruptors, and we're coming out after every industry. And that means you, Ferrari, and that means you, Cummins, and everybody else. That means you, uh, Freightliners. That means everybody in between. So I think in this case, they're playing their avant-garde card by saying, look, we can do this now. Imagine what it's going to be like in five years, which brings me to point out, I wrote a, an article not too long ago on the truck maker Cummins who bought the Bramo battery part of the company. Oh, yes, that's right, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I did, by the way, talk to uh, the Bremo CEO and, and he uh, corrected a few details that I missed on the original story is that, first of all, Bremo still exists. Bremo motorcycle was sold to Polaris. That Polaris still has that. But the battery part of the company was sold to Cummins, who I didn't understand why all of a sudden they were talking about an electric truck. And of course, then I thought, well, Daimler just did the same thing with the Ifuzo. Ifuzo is, is actually a Japanese company, but it's part of Daimler. And I couldn't understand why these guys were drumming their drum really loudly, their marketing drum so loudly. And of course, you know, you have to put into perspective, Tesla is about to talk about their truck. And of course, they come out with a big fanfare like this. So it's going to be very interesting because like you said, Daimler, Fuso, Cummins, uh, Freightliners, all these guys are very, very targeted mar uh, markets. They work with big trucks. And by the way, big trucks, I think most truckers own their trucks. And you're right, they're about $100,000 to $120,000. So they buy these things. They run the heck out of them. So it's a very different market. It's not like plunking down you know, $40,000 for a car or sadly $250,000 for a car. <laughs> right. So interesting. By the way, I, one thing I do want to add to this is the uh, aerodynamic, uh, the, uh, the, the aesthetic of the, of the truck. Now, this is something the truck industry or the trucking industry has never really dabbled into it or very shyly gone into making their trucks more aerodynamic. Volvo did a really good job. Daimler did a good job. But here in the US and North America, I guess as a whole, we still have those old fashioned trucks and, and they're not super, super aerodynamic. Now, when you look at the Tesla truck, Obviously, you can see that that thing was was drawn in a wind tunnel, which begs the question, who designed it? I mean, this is not your, your run-of-the-mill Tesla Model 3 or, or Model S kind of truck. Who designed that truck? Because I see a lot of hints that I've seen before. I've talked to a lot of people who work in aerodynamics, and it sounds like they must have had some, some really intelligent people working on that truck. I'd love to know who it is. Anyway, that was my, my little question for Tesla. I guess one thing which might bear consideration is that the average buyer of a truck might have a certain idea of how they should look. And so there could be a risk if Freightliner suddenly comes out with this bullet train or space shuttle looking truck, then there's a risk that maybe the consumer might not be so interested in it. I'm thinking that Ford has all car makers, really. They do a lot of work on aerodynamics for all their vehicles, even though we still sell a whole lot of SUVs and trucks, which are about as aerodynamic on the surface as a brick. <laughs> but I bet you that there's some sort of cultural element in there because ultimately, if the customer wants things a certain way or is used to having things a certain way, there could be a big risk in changing too much too soon. Maybe over the course of a couple design cycles, you could make the front of the truck look different, be more aerodynamic. A lot of urban delivery trucks are quite aerodynamic now. 
so that so there's that will consumers buy something which is designed for aerodynamics as opposed to whatever features they prefer and there's also the fact that much like cars these trucks are on the roads for many years and so even if all of the new vehicles have this sleek aerodynamic look we would still be seeing vehicles with the with a long snout for years and years and years to come because that just happens to be how long it takes to get those out of the system you're right it's going to take a long time to get rid of this and yeah, it will take a long time. I, 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 I love it. And I wish they would all be like that. I know Walmart worked on that for a little while on more streamlined trucks. And actually, Walmart has been huge in the trucking industry. They've really made things move quickly. But we're, we're still very far away from, uh, from people adopting that kind of look. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess we've uh, done the semi to death here. We've done the semi twice <laughs> over, if you will. So um, we'll hold it there for now for this week. And we'll, we'll come back next week with a probably Tesla-free content episode, seeing as we gave Tesla all the love this week, admittedly about a week later than most podcasts, but that's just due to the way that we have to schedule this. You know, one of the great things, though, this week is that I didn't have, I won't have to create a map like we had to do for the past couple of weeks for Ooh, various cities in China. True. That is, uh, I, I feel like my old high school geography teacher saying no 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 no. you know this side is india this is Bangladesh. this is not where senegal is really i thought yeah, it was yeah, in antarctica like, okay now now i'm gonna have to look up senegal but um <laughs> maybe maybe i'll include that in the show notes for just for everyone to uh just right. so has their map fix for the week right below Bur- Burnith. oh oh good lord i forgot the name now of it anyway burkina faso yes it? burkina faso yes. thank you i was going to say burkina faso but i'm dyslexic so okay well thank you all for listening i hope you enjoyed our rather um loose and impromptu style today hope you had a safe commute and join us next week to get your electric fix bye everyone and uh, looking forward to your comments and talk to you next week <laughs>